0: What is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 67 of the Modern Drummer Podcast. My name is Mike Johnston from mikeslessons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Well, it's been quite a week, so after Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about gigging and your gigging toolbox. What are a few things that you have to take to every gig? Our featured artist this time is Mr. Michael Shreve. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out some new snare drums from Canopus. We'll get to a few of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week, so let's get started. <laughs> on my end we were about about a half note apart yeah that was yeah. terrible <laughs> it's you know what it's just too many it's we're just predicting it too much it's like well he's probably going to wait a little bit for the <laughs> delay and then i wait for that and then all of a sudden boom well, we get nothing i mean our uh, our our delay is is funny because i'm actually closer to you i'm in indianapolis but i think it just screwed us up more Yeah, Skype was not cooperating, so shout out to the fine folks that developed. uh, What are we using? FaceTime. FaceTime. (laughs) This man, I swear, if they don't put an eye in front of it, it doesn't exist to me. So uh, let me move you over. You can't even see me. There we go. Yeah. All right. Not that it matters to the people at home. So, you are in Indiana because there is something called PASIC happening. Yeah, PASIC or PASIC. I don't know what the official pronunciation is. I've, I'm I'm not going with PASIC. I've always called it PASIC. I'm hearing PASIC more and more. Really? Yeah. Are you going to PASIC? Are you going to PASIC this year? I would I would, I would. would say no, I'm not because I'll be at PASIC. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't think I can handle that one. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean... Either way, it's an acronym, and it stands for... The Percussive Arts Society
1: International Convention. Boom! So it's here. I'm here for... There's three days in a row of nonstop drumming, percussion, performances, world music, marching band, everything.
0: Uh, Man, I got to say, nothing against PASIC or PASIC, or let's just say the PAS, because that's the Percussive Arts Society. Right. I had no idea it was going on. Like, people started asking me probably about a week ago, hey, are you going to PAS this year or PASIC? And I... I said uh, I don't know, and I, I meant I don't know because I haven't given it much thought. And then they were like, "Well, okay, well, hopefully I'll see you this weekend." And I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Why would you see me this weekend?" So, I—I I mean, where is the responsibility for advertising this event in the first place? Does it just do they target mostly schools or? Yeah, I think so, and
1: it's 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 kind of an insular society, cause, so they really just send out letters to people who are members. Members um, of the society, yeah. Okay. So it's it's not. I mean, they do have social media and everything else, but I don't. I don't think it's reaching, you know, the vast numbers of people as it should. It's. Ba- I mean, sure. it's it's a closed convention, so you have to be a member, but anyone can come and join. Like the day of, you just pay your, sure. your fee. I think it's a, even a reduced fee if you come to the show, and then you get to go to the show. It's mostly college, high school, and then professional percussionists all around the world. I saw uh, yeah. one clinic so far it was Marco Georgievich. Who I always forget to mention how great he is. He's Okay. He lives in Brooklyn, but he teaches he teaches at Drummers Collective. He teaches at um, Berkeley a couple of days a week. Um, and he's he's a badass. He's in the same same genre as, you know, Mark Juliana and and, okay. and Zach Danziger and Ari Honig. I mean it's He's part of the crew. Cutting Edge, contemporary jazz. He focuses a little bit more on acoustic versions of that stuff. Okay. And he's from Serbia. Um, so a lot of his his original music has kind of got a Eastern European flavor, some odd times and stuff, really great stuff. So he he was the first clinician today, and he killed it. I'll talk about it more because we actually have a lister question
0: that, that asks the exact topic that he covered about drum solo. Really? Yeah, about drum solo. Oh, fantastic. So, so when did the convention start? It was today day one or was it yesterday? Today's
1: day one. Yesterday was like they have some – some like pre-show things, you know, performances and stuff, but it doesn't didn't okay. actually start till today. So yeah, I got in this morning, and the first Marco was the first clinic, ten a.m. He had that that tough slot, but he had a you know a pretty yeah. decent crowd. It was I was impressed. And he's playing yeah, a, you, Natal drums, which I uh-huh. I never heard um,
0: in person. I've played them, or I guess on a clinic. Yeah, oh, okay. But
1: I've never heard someone else like in a room mic'd up, and they oh. they sounded great. He was using the Evans caftone heads. Uh, okay. which also the drums sounded really fat.
0: And does he tune his kit like an actual jazz kit? No,
1: not anymore. He used to. Okay. He uses a small kit. It's a bop kit, but he has it tuned pretty fat. It's It sounded Incredible. really, really good, and he was using some really gorgeous uh, Constantinople cymbals that I just was like, I want that ride, whatever that is. I think it was a 22 right. medium. Gorgeous. And he always is funny because I, I went in during his sound check to just, I haven't seen him in a while, so just to hang out for a minute. He always carries his twelve-inch remix hi hats. That's the only thing that was that was his on stage, where the high. Really, hats. he carries them everywhere. He takes them to Europe. He takes them everywhere he goes. That's the one thing he has wow. to have with him.
0: Man, I I I get it. I every time I go anywhere, I'm, I'm headed to Mexico. I went to San Francisco last night for an event. I can I can deal with whatever drums they have for me, but I always bring my cymbals. But every time I do it. I'm going through the airport carrying this 400-pound cymbal bag. I'm like, why the hell am I carrying my cymbals? That's the whole point of having an endorsement is I say, hey, Minel, I'll be in Mexico City. Can I please have my setup there? And yet every time it's just I want to have something that's mine. So I, yeah. I get it. It's it's nice to just look over and be like, those aren't – a. Re- that's not a replica of my hi-hats. Those are my hi-hats yeah. from my house. I brought them. And, uh, yeah, just it, it's a little piece of home no matter where you go. So I get it. Yeah. So – we are probably like seven or eight minutes in, and we made it without mentioning what the hell happened. <laughs> um, I definitely don't want to get into the sides of it, but man, what a! I, I, so I had a speaking engagement in San Francisco to a room full of startups and young entrepreneurs, and there was uh, as we as I was giving my speech, a uh, like a little riot passed mm. on by, and uh, you know we were in downtown San Francisco. And then uh, I had trouble getting my car out of the parking garage because they'd actually sealed off the parking garage and the garage wasn't closed. They just said, we didn't want the rioters to come in. I'm like, what? And so so I, I didn't even know when I was giving my speech that this happened. Um, but anyways, the, the there's definitely uh, a feeling in the room about what happened. And I tried my best to stay out of, um, I guess, mentioning either side. I just wanted to, more, more importantly, kind of what I did on Social media yesterday just mentioned like hey there's there's still a lot of things in our day to day lives that this has no effect on, which is the things that I can control when I woke up in the morning, I can decide to be a jerk or someone that 's kind of nice to my wife, yeah. I can pet my dog, so I just focused on the things that I could control, so um, you know but I, I think it I, the one thing that I noticed when it was all going down because I was watching the events was just the shock on everyone's face that our country is bigger than California and New York.
1: Yeah. Well, um, not
0: population-wise, but right. That's what it is. But that it matters. Yeah. That, you know, it, all of a sudden it was like, oh, man. <clears throat> so yeah. I uh, all I can say is it's it's really time for Gretch to step up and make some great shells, <laughs> right? Because, I mean, this is the time to uh, – to work on your bearing edge and work on everything and just become the greatest Gretsch you can be. So that's all that matters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You sound so happy.
0: I mean, it, I mean, I'm
1: I'm not a political person, but I can tell you, it took the air out of everyone, and, and at least where I'm at in the New York right. area, it it was a lot of hopelessness and you know immediate reaction of what what is going on and and obviously Trump Trump Tower in Manhattan is just surrounded by protesters now. I don't know. I don't know how they're going yeah. to, to quell that. I don't know what he can do to to make those people not completely feel like their lives have just been shattered. And, I'm, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I just read a Facebook post by Butch Walker that I, I wish I had a printer here and I would have printed out to read it because it, it kind of put it all in perspective about just being compassionate for everyone. And just because they're different and have different opinions. Right. Um, that said, there is a time to be angry, and for some people, the time is now. I'm also seeing people saying they've already been victims of you know racist attacks, getting their cars egged, and things like that. Um, so it's it's going to be an, a it's going to be a very um, thin line between stability and instability for the for at least the I, next six months, if not four. Years. I honestly
0: just can't believe that some of the issues that we deal with. We actually still still deal with them. It, it makes no sense. I mean, I grew up just in Northern California is like the accepting capital of the world. So you just grow up. Things like gender, religion, politics. It, it's it's more like, oh, cool, you're different than me. Tell me why. Tell me why you think this way. I can't wait to learn what your religion is. I can't wait to learn how. What has your life been like growing up this way, different than me? So it's it's still hard to believe that the world just cares about things like skin tone. And and I think also you and I grew up in music. So yeah. in music, it it all. what does it matter? Yeah. It levels at all. I don't care. Just are you good? Do you make me, you know, can you sit in the pocket? Cool. And then, and then I find out that you're from Bangladesh and you're struggling with gender identity. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> Your pocket is fat. Let's go jam. I don't care about any of that stuff. So yeah. anyways, I think like you said, we just need to have as much patience as possible right now. And you and I benefited the most from this cuz how many people did we get to block on social media over the past 2 oh, days? Oh yeah, it's been That's tons. always so much fun. And
1: it's like I don't want to do that, but it just comes down to are you being respectful or disrespectful?
0: That's I it. don't care Honestly, if you're
1: Republican or Democrat no. if you if you feel immigration is an issue or not. I mean it's it's if you use anything defamatory or any kind of memes where it's just like, come on, you're, you're just being disrespectful.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing for me is when I look at the comment, uh, I well, one, you couldn't even possibly disagree with me because I've never put out my beliefs in the first place. So the only time I block anybody is where I see like there is no conversation to be had. You are... It's just this way, and there's nothing to talk about. So when I feel like there can be no conversation, and whatever point of view is driven by hate and trying to make the situation worse, you gots to go. Yep, and I don't, so I don't, I don't
1: it. see. I mean, it's going to be really tough. I'm thinking like the people who obviously voted the way they voted to get our president elect are f- largely from areas that don't have tons of diversity in their lives. I mean, I might be overly generalizing that. And the people who are protesting are from areas that are very diverse and they didn't vote for them. So what is the solution there? You're not going to convince people who don't have to deal with diversity issues in their life to care about them. And you're not going to get people who have to deal with these issues on a daily basis to see the other side of don't meddle with my life with issues that I don't have any that don't impact me. (laughs) It's really tricky. It's
0: really, really tricky. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Well, like I said, uh, there's people that I will come in contact with today that will be my immediate circle of friends, acquaintances, strangers, and all I can control is how I treat those people. So I'm going to put a little extra effort into being as kind and as nice and as understanding as I can be and as open-minded as I can be, and that's all I can control right now. So. That's the plan. So, so talk
1: about drums. I mean, good God.
0: <laughs> there we go. We got it all out of the way, man. That's, that's the most off-topic we've ever gone besides a little bit of sports <laughs> knowledge. All right. So, let's talk about something important. <laughs> Not that that wasn't, but gigging and the reason why i wanted to talk about this i wanted to talk about your gigging toolbox and we've mentioned it in the past a little bit yeah but i want to narrow it down to must-haves and i'm talking about physical things that you have to bring to the gig besides your kit your symbols and the reason why is because as you know i don't really gig out a lot and when i do it's not gigging I'm, i'm flying somewhere everything's already there for me there's a whole crew to help set up well, last night, I took my own kit to San Francisco for this event. I took my own symbols, my own hardware. And then once the car was packed with kit, symbols, and hardware, that's when I started to panic because I haven't gone out on my own in a while. And I was like, that can't be it. Yeah. What'd you what, f- am yeah what am I forgetting? What am I going to freak out about in two hours when I'm setting up? <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, oh, they might have hardwood floors. Let me go, let me go back upstairs and grab a drum rug. Yeah. And then I get down and I think, yeah, but this drum rug isn't all that tacky. So... The whole thing's going to scoot. Let me go back up and get a roll of gaff tape. And I swear, I swear, bro, I was about 45 minutes into the drive when I realized, I don't think I have a drum key. Yeah, that's the and one. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> that's imm- well, I hope my drums are tuned the way I like them. <laughs> and so it's like, whoa. One, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so what are a few of your must-haves? On the gig that you take with you.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I want to say that we had this question, exact question from Garrett. So I want to make sure that we give him a shout out. He said, what do you, cons- okay. what do you consider the must-haves for a gig bag, studio, or live spare parts, ability to make repairs, sound treatment, etc." Mm. So don't want to make him think we forgot to mention him. So Garrett, thank you for the question. It's related exactly to this topic. Um, I have, I kind of, because I do, I gig with like so many different artists every week that if I tried to just like grab everything individually for each gig, I would I would always leave something behind. Sure. So I have like three things. I have a, three symbol bags with very particular sets of symbols for different types of gigs. So if I'm doing the local bar thing where I know it needs to be a little bit dynamically more under control, I have a set of thin, dry symbols that just are in there with a couple pairs of sticks. So I always have just loose sticks in the bag in case I forget my stick bag. Um I always have a roll of tape. I always mm. have some type of moon gel or buzzkill or something. A packet of that some dampening. Some kind of dampening. Okay. I always have a pen uh, for making notes on set lists and
0: stuff, or a marker. Yeah. Bro, if I, you have no idea, I told myself the whole drive down. As soon as you get there, it's a startup building. It's a building that houses small startups. There must be a Sharpie somewhere. And all I wanted to do was write down the points of my speech on my snare drum. Just words that would trigger the next thing. Yeah. And the thing that I was the most upset about about the event yesterday was there was two times that I actually had to turn on my phone to open my notes to remember the next topic. Ah,
1: uh, bummer. And I
0: did it as casual as possible, but there's no way of getting around it. Yeah. And that's, that's the stuff that eats me alive. And all of that is because I didn't bring a Sharpie. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, by, and, and as soon as I loaded in, you know, the, the chaos of load in just takes over everything and you forget everything that was on your mind, everything you were going to do. You start loading in, you're shaking hands, you're talking to people. They're like, oh, you got to meet this guy and you got to meet this person. And here's our, you know, soda machine. And, you know, and, and all of a sudden they're like, OK, you ready to go? And I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have like 45 minutes of stuff to talk about. And I have no talking points because I didn't write it down on my snare head. So I think a, a Sharpie would have been a, a game changer last night. Yeah,
1: that. Or, I mean, I also print out set lists if I know them ahead of time. Even though I might sure. have them on my iPad or on my phone or whatever, I always print them out just so I have that analog.
0: You never know when technology is going to fail you. Yeah, the, by the way, the talking points are sitting in Amber's office. Uh, I printed them yesterday before I left <laughs> and I didn't get them out <laughs> of the printer. So... I I took things to the whole next level yesterday. Really crushed it. <laughs> so I mean, did you feel like you were naked, not having your notes? A little bit. Luckily, it's when you're giving a speech like that. That's really based off of your experiences and your history in creating a, a business almost by accident. I mean, there, there was no plan going in of like, well, this is how we do business. So everything was really my experiences. So I felt a little naked, but luckily it's easy to talk about your own past and your own history. It was just more or less my fear of getting in the car, opening the notes, and being like, God, that was such a key point. Like one thing that I could not I, – I remember it was like, okay, this is so important. I have to talk about this. And I felt that it was missing in the speech because I, I knew there was something missing. And I opened my notes and then there was this thing that just said, social media, credit, and debt. And that was like – 20-minute chunk of my speech. I mean, it was a huge portion of my speech is about what I consider to be social media credit and debt, and that's literally how I base everything I put out on social media, and I think it's an original thought, and I don't think a lot of people understand how important it is. So I was really happy I had the notes, but I just wish it would have been written on my snare drum because they couldn't see my drum set. And I could have just been like, now, and then casually made my segue. But instead, I was like, hold on real quick while I thumbprint my phone <laughs> to open up the notes page. Like, ah, oh, good God. Amateur. So, <laughs> totally. Totally. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I'm actually, I do this. I, I mean, the drumming is, oh God, the drumming was a train wreck, buddy. We, we need to talk about that. Um, there's a huge lesson I learned last night, so we definitely need to talk about that. But anyways, um, yeah, so that's, I I wish I would have had a Sharpie. All right. Well, where did I leave off? So I had the ink pen. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) So you have your pen. Uh, We both agree you have to have a drum key. Yeah, drum key or some kind of multi-tool. I like the uh, Cruise Tools multi-tool, which is a, it's like a like an Allen wrench, but it has an Allen wrench. It has a drum key. It has a screwdriver. I think it has scissors. It's almost like a Swiss army knife. Okay. So that's kind of my, you know, if, if something breaks, I can fix it or some kind of a, a wrench like the Gibraltar wing key. Like I said, I've mm-hmm. got several symbol bags. Each one of these has like a different variation of this kind of tool in it um, that I've, I've gotten over the years. So I have like some kind of a wrench in case the hi-hat stand just strips. And I need to really crank it down or whatever. Um Sure a spare Hayek clutch. I usually have that. Especially for the the stuff I take around Manhattan because none of the house kits have clutches. I have a bag of felts oh. and washers because none of the house kits have felts washers. It's just straight metal metal yep. cymbal stands. Um what else do I carry to every gig? Uh Metrodome, Dr. Beat or some other thing. I have a Korg Beat Lab which is great. So those are always in my my bags. Um Stick bag, of
0: course. Um, what else do I always carry? Uh, Let me ask you this: Where are all these tools housed? Do you put them in the hi hat pouch of a stick or of a cymbal bag, or where do they all sit? Yeah, pretty much in that zipper spot in the
1: cymbal bag, or or it's Velcro, okay. or whatever. Or for for the setup that I need that has a little bit more intricate stuff, where I need to take like a an X hat because it's and I have to take an SBDS pad and all that. That is one of those bigger. Uh, protection racket rolling cases which i think we talked about a few months yep. back so in that i can hold everything i can hold sticks symbols hardware bass drum pedal uh, i always take my own pedal but normally mm. in my bass drum pedal bag is where i throw all this stuff a bag of felts a bag of washers an extra clutch right. the tape the metronome the muffling uh, ink pens markers set lists are usually folded up so i usually stuff everything in the bass drum bag bass drum pedal bag you are
0: you are prepared.
1: Well, I've done. You I, I mean, when you've got to play like right. one gig on Wednesday, one gig on Friday, and they're totally different, I know I would yeah. forget something crucial for one of those yeah. gigs. So I have to. Have
0: yeah, them. and all you have to do is forget something crucial once, and it, once, and it changes everything. Yeah, and that's exactly. That's all of all of the fear that I had yesterday uh, while packing up wasn't because thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm going to. I hope I don't forget anything. All that fear was based off of I remember when I did forget something, yeah. and. And it's always I mean I've never forgot I mean, I guess forgetting a drum key. By the way, I did have one. Um, it was it was in <laughs> it was in my cymbal bag. So in my cymbal bag, the one thing I did have was I had like four pairs of brand new sticks. I had uh, and I brought both pairs, I brought maple and hickory depending on if I got there and it was a super loud room, then I'd play with my maple sticks. Uh, I had a drum key, I had a tune bot mm-hmm. just in case the drive really changed things. And I just couldn't get my drums to sound good. I didn't even have to use it. Um, But all of that fear is based off of forgetting something in the past. And the one thing that I've forgotten more than once is a throne. Oh, Um, yeah. That sucks. Yeah, I don't know why. And that really sucks because you have to use like an office chair or a bar stool. And I... I know that it seems like, well, just use a chair. It's like you don't understand. A throne is a very specific thing. <laughs> and the whole night, you just feel weird. Yeah. You, you feel know? like you're playing um, a kid's
1: kid or you're like the Jolly Green Giant or something.
0: Either way. Yeah. yeah. You're never quite comfortable. So, but yeah, luckily, remembered everything and, uh, and everything was good. Gaff tape for me is just, it's non negotiable. I have to have it because yeah. I can do so many things with it. It could be as simple as taping a set list down to the ground, or it could be as crucial as. Taping the entire drum rug to marble floors, yep. um, it uh, it could be it can be my muffling device, obviously, yep. um, and so yeah, so gaff tape is the non negotiable for me, drum key, and and TuneBot, you know, and I'm not a, a advocate of the TuneBot for, I mean, I'm not endorsed by them, but it's just one of those things where sometimes when I'm in a pinch and I can't get my drums to sound good, I like to have something that reassures me, yep. you know, that's that I can trust more than I can trust my ear. Yeah. I carry so.
1: that too. I, Cause it's, it's a lot of times I'm I'm going out of town and I'm playing someone else's kit and they probably haven't touched it since the last time I came down to play it. So I take that with me just, you know, but as we're setting up, I just make sure all, none of the lugs have backed out too far or whatever. Right. And I'm not sitting there like you know, t- tapping
0: and tuning for an hour. I just, just get the right. pitch right. It takes two minutes and we're, we're ready to roll. Yeah, and sometimes there's just a lot of ambient noise where I really can't hear what the heck's going on. So, uh, the TuneBot can filter out those pitches. So, so a tuning device in general is is always good. So, awesome. Yep. Uh, well, let's get in now to our featured artist. Our featured artist. I started my research by watching his, I believe, 1969 Woodstock solo with Santana. Yeah, and uh, and it's the it's funny. It's the prototype solo that i don't know that that type of solo influenced so many people the whole reason i can play eighth notes with my left foot is drum solos from Woodstock yeah, they all went chick 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 <laughs> dug chick 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 and uh and so as soon as that came on i was like oh my gosh this is like my first drum contest that i entered but it was all influenced by the solos of Woodstock and that whole world and um and so yeah, so it was really cool. So the Michael Shreve that you guys covered—that's him, right? The yeah. drummer that played in 1969 Woodstock with Santana. Exactly. He, you know, there it, it was.
1: We were kind of really hoping because there was. They did. Santana got the original band back together from that concert to make a, a record, but for okay. for whatever reason, it kind of got pushed to the side and didn't become like the Santana band. So he was. He kind of. We were hoping it would be like cool, Santana's going to take the original band on the road and they're going to do the whole, you know, the Woodstock vibe and not right. not play smooth and all those songs that he's been doing since the 90s or whenever that was. But that hasn't quite happened so we were actually hoping it would end up being a cover story to kind of talk about that whole, you know, the whole thing. But yeah. they still made the record and he's still playing. He's still very active. So yeah, we did a feature on him in, is this December still? Yep, we're still talking yes. about December. <laughs> Yeah, and he was a teenager at Woodstock. That's kind of really? the stuff that, that that blows my mind is how young people were. Like, the guys we think of as, like, the archetypes, they were so young. Tony Williams was 17, 18 years old, recording with Miles Davis, and we right. still study those records today. They kind of re He, like, reinvented yeah. the language, and he was a freaking teenager.
0: Yeah, that is nuts, man. I mean, I'm trying to think right now, like... I think of a young drummer as being in their mid 20s. Yeah. That would be a young drummer to me. Um, and then you know and then we obviously had Tony Royster at 12, but that was more like we couldn't even just accept it. It just had to live in its own planet for a while. Yeah. And 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 at the time I didn't expect a 12-year-old to be reinventing their language, so it was it was a lot of Dennis influence and stuff. Um, and, but I mean, yeah, to have a teenager be doing like you said what Tony did but then also doing Woodstock not not just playing, but handling that scene, yeah. that, that crowd, that whole thing. It's just nuts. It's insane. I mean, even do you think, I mean, how old was Jimi Hendrix
1: when he died? He was 27. He was Jeez. 27 when he died. So he made his mark by the time, before I even realized I was an adult. You know, I didn't feel like I was an adult until I was 30, 35. I felt like I might right. finally have the confidence
0: to do a podcast and not be completely <laughs> ashamed of us. Oh, I mean. you know but i mean and that's the thing is is his maybe the skills are blazing as a teenager but the choices don't really come into their own generally until you're in your 30s and later and so to to, to see where they've gone with the choices um you know is an amazing thing so now, with Michael Shreve, has he, is he somebody that's played with lots of artists other than Santana? I really know very little about him. You know what? Not tons. He's,
1: he's done some electronic music and solo albums and things. Um, let's see. His recording credits are pretty crazy, though. He's got tracks with the Rolling Stones, Steve Winwood, David Crosby, Pete Townsend, George Harrison, wow. uh, Pat Tra- uh, Travers, Mick Jagger, um, what else there's, there's he has his own quartet uh, he's done a lot more composing that's kind of been his thing tv okay and film composing since then okay but he's still wow. playing drums and he, he kind of came back a little bit this year <clears throat> especially with the santana record um that was kind of cool i think it was like the, well, i guess how many years would that be since <laughs> i think it was an anniversary of that woodstock record
0: so that'd be what thirty-seven years. I don't know. I'm not sure. Right, because it was in '69. Oh, I don't. I mean, I don't. Woodstock was '69, right?
1: '71. So is the the last time that lineup played together, Santana. Three. Okay. Got it. So some kind of reunion. I I apologize for not remembering. I don't have my checklist or
0: a sharpie to make <laughs> notes. <laughs> you need some gaff tape. And I'm in Indianapolis. I'm not in New Jersey today. That's true. You are in a hotel right now. You uh, no problem. So let's let's talk about drums. So it looks like um he's playing DW drums. DW drums, Istanbul uh agop or agop. Again, I
1: I don't quite know what to pronounce each. I say agop, I've heard people say agop. Uh, yeah, he's playing Istanbul cymbals, remo heads. He's got a his kit is cool, champagne um Pink champagne. He's got the classic pink champagne with like gold hardware. Um, yeah. He's doing the, what's his heads. He's doing classic, you know, Coded ambassadors, clear emperor on the clear emperor snare side. Have you ever done that?
0: Coded emperor? Clear no.
1: emperor. They have like a, oh. the snare side head comes in diplomat, ambassador, Yeah.
0: Well, I, no, okay, so no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was snare side emperor. So it's a two ply, super thin, it's not two snare ply. Head? That they're kind of confusing oh, okay. the definition. It's just, it's just thicker. Son of a...
1: It's like, okay. what does Evans have? The 300, 500, and 700 or something like that? Okay. Which I guess is their mills 700 mil. It's similar to that. It's just a thicker
0: piece of mylar. I don't have any experience with it, but I kind of want to check it out. All I know is uh, one clinic I went to, they or one uh, festival I did, I can't remember, was it maybe in Columbia? Anyways... They didn't – for some for some reason, Aquarian didn't send a bottom snare head, but they sent an extra um, bottom floor tom head Ooh. for my 14, yeah. and they threw it on. And I got there, and, and they had the kit all set up, and I hit the toms like, doom, doom, doom. Everything was good. Kick, kick, kick. And it was like, pacong, <laughs> And I was like, what the hell? And so I was like, oh, maybe the head's not seated right. And I kept – it didn't even occur to me that it might be the bottom head. <clears throat> so I kept tweaking the drum, kept tweaking the drum. And I was like, this might be the worst snare drum I've ever heard. And I'm looking – and uh, I think it was Columbia. And I look over at JP and I'm like, if worse comes to worse, can I borrow your DW snare? And he's like, yeah, of course. Oh, so I keep hitting it. And then, I, and then I feel underneath to see how tight the tension is. And I can feel it's like, it's like a piece of plywood. And I was like, oh, this is not a snare head. And I turn it over and sure enough, it's a single-ply tom head. And it really makes a difference. <laughs> it's a huge thing. There's a reason why those things are tissue paper thin, man. Uh, that's where you get your snap from. So yeah. Awful. Um yeah, it was it was rough. And I was like, hey guys, do we have a music store anywhere nearby? And it's a bottom head. It can be Remo, Evans, anything. Just get me a bottom snare head. So we all it, it all got worked out. But uh yeah, I didn't know that uh I, I wonder if Aquarian, I think I know that they have they have their uh their snare their I guess they would call it their what, single ply Clear snare head, uh, but then they also have it with. Have you seen it where there's like those two white layers of coating where the snares actually rest yeah, on yeah, the sides? Yeah. So I know they have that. Um, what does that do? Because I've used that. I don't know what it does. I think about. it's literally just to, to keep the head from. It's where that piece of metal is rubbing the most. I think it's just for durability. Uh, Okay. Um, I I think, I don't know. I, I, I don't have that head, but I have seen it in their lineup. So, but cool, man. So, well, when you check out, unfortunately, when I tried to check out Michael Shreve, everything was from this, the late sixties and the seventies. Yeah. So hopefully, um, I I would love to see more stuff. I mean, I, am looking, he's staring at me right now because I'm looking at his picture in the magazine and, He's like, dude, you got to come over and play sometime. I can see it on his face, and it's like, oh, Michael, (laughs) throw up a GoPro. I want to hear you, man. I want to hear you play. So, everyone, check out Michael Street. And you said that they did they have they released that album where they all got back together? I hope so because that's what the whole story
1: was about. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. I mean, you know, when you're talking about an artist like Santana, he's he's probably got five or six projects in the works at any time. Gotcha. Uh, But yeah. So, but yeah, you know, he had another band a prog rock fusion band called automatic man which i wasn't hmm. familiar with and so he's he's been in more of an experimental world since the, the 70s which
0: is yeah, yeah since the 70s it's kind of cool that's awesome well very cool let's check out michael Street. all right so let's talk about some gear canopus how <laughs> did i do perfect sweet Uh, checking out three snare drums from them. Um, now are we going to hear all three of these or are we just going to hear one or two? We have all three and I'm going to put them in order as they appear in the magazine. So you'll hear the Yaiba 2
1: Maple, then the Yaiba 2 Birch, and then the Black Nickel over Brass.
0: Awesome. Now are these new drums to their lineup?
1: They are. They expanded the, the Yaiba line is their, um, their way of kind of cutting some costs without sacrificing quality to kind of keep the price down a little bit. So they're not using the brass, the solid brass lugs that they use on their, you know, their top of the line stuff. So they're using cast lugs that cuts down the cost a little bit, but they're still using, you know, they're still making the drums as they make everything else. So it's expertly crafted pristine. There was, you know, they were flawless in every, every possible way. And, and like we said, with the last time we talked about their stuff, if you just look at it on a shelf, like, Oh, there's a nice snare drum. They kind of overlook the fact that these are like pristine.ly made and and designed to sound incredible, and they're not priced too bad. I think the yeah the Iba two maple and birch are each three hundred and fifty bucks. Jeez, which is kind of crazy. Um, and yeah. even the black nickel brass, which does have the solid uh, brass lugs, that's only seven hundred and twenty five bucks.
0: Wow, it's
1: pretty impressive. Yeah they they continue to just amaze me with just producing great sounding drums that you can find no issue with other than maybe they're just not, they're not flashy. They don't have anything like spectacular. They're kind of workhorse function in any kind of situation. So the Yaiba the Yiba was their like slightly more affordable line. And then they just added some snare drums. So they added a maple, um, five and a half by 14 and a six and a half by 14. And they added a birch, uh, same size. So we got the six and a half by 14 of each the maple has a 6 ply shell all maple um, and the same thing with the birch it's 6 ply all birch so they were a great comparison because they're they're identical construction the finishes were different just but the drums are identical
0: literally just different material yeah. making the shot. even
1: the same plies too so it's that you getting rid of all right. the factors so this to be able to play them side by side was really interesting um,
0: and, now, I'm sure you reviewed these a little while ago, so you might not remember, too, but do you remember they have sharp bearing edges, rounded bearing edges? I think
1: they were kind of like a 45,
0: slightly, 45. slightly
1: rounded. Um, I, mean, I don't know if I mentioned it in the review. No, I didn't. I don't think. Yeah, but I think they, they were just kind of, they were just made like drums. There was no, like, this cool. one has a baseball bat edge. It was just, right, right, these right. are just Here's the snare drum. well-made drums. So to be right. able to, like, A-B them, tune them identically... And go through the whole tuning range was really cool. The maple Yeah. The maple kind of stole the you know, stole it for me. It just had the okay a bigger kind of more pleasing sound. But the birch didn't wasn't so drastically different. So I don't think like if I would hand you one of these drums and say, Go play that for a day and then the next day right. give you the birch drum and say, Go play it for a day and take the maple back, I think you would come back after two days and say, they sound exactly the same. Right. Really? They do. They really? they tune up and down however you want, tight and poppy, mid range with a lot of tone, or low and fat. They do it. and The sensitivity is great. But when you put them side by side, you can you can you can notice the subtleties
0: that sure. becomes really obvious. Um, now, I, I don't know if you noticed. And well, you also had two different. Did you have six and a half in both? Yeah, they were they were exactly okay. the same drum. So yeah. you okay. So I don't know if you noticed. Um, and. I don't know if this is in my head, but when I was playing for DW, I had uh, an all-maple kit, which was the the black, It was I call it the Keltner finish. It was the black drum set with the maple right. stripe in the middle. Yep. Then I had an all-birch kit, which was the exact opposite finish, all-maple looking kit with black stripe in the middle. In my head, the, the birch kit was much louder, and I had to really concentrate on controlling the volume. Did you find any volume differences between these two, or are they just both... No. Just wood drums. The, the, hmm.
1: the difference was in the the um, the spread of the tone and, okay. and just the bigness of the tone. The maple just sounded bigger and, and less uh, – I, mean, I don't want to say less constrained because they were both had a nice open sound. Even the birch drum, which I typically think is kind of a punch you in the face kind of a sound.
0: Right. It's a sharp – This yeah. one
1: could do it all. But it, really? it was just cool. contained enough to where it, it just focused it a bit more. The birch just had a little hmm. bit more focused. Okay. So I would I would think guys who play more notes or guys who need their drums to cut would favor the birch. Cut. Guys yeah. who need to take up more sonic space would favor the maple, but they both could do both of those things. It was it was pretty mm. awesome. It's, That's great yeah, man. Yeah, they're kind of I mean, they're they're almost like like ninja drums, honestly. They can just do whatever you want. And and then the brass was like you know, that it was such a different vibe. Brighter, obviously, more spread. It had a really wide snare uh, strainer on it. I think it was like a thirty wire instead of the the twenty or the sixteen or on the others. Um, but that also was like you could do anything with this thing. It sounded big and fat. It was more of a the brass drum was definitely more of a rock and roll studio backbeat kind of a drum. I felt okay. But same thing, you could tune it up and do like symphonic work on it. You could tune it super down you know really low and tape it up and get that. Gushy, you know, dark sound. Um, so yeah, Canopus just just always impresses me with just producing drums that always sound good. And they each one of these could be like your one drum, I think, which is right,
0: kind of cool. Which is a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think they're you have to justify. Like, are you collecting snare drums just because? And it, you know, uh, and trust me, I've been there um, where. It's like, well, you know what I don't have is I don't have a Slingerlin with a Duco finish, and it's like, do you need one? Nope, but I don't have one, so I got to get one, and they're affordable, you know. And oh, and I oh man, I could get an acrylite right now for one hundred and twenty bucks, and that means that UPS will drop something off next week, and that's all that I need. (laughs) So, are you collecting drums for that, or are you collecting drums, or do you have drums because it's like, man, this thing just sounds good, and there is an appeal to me, which is the appeal of having my kit. Yeah. My snare, right. my ride, my hats. And it, and it's like, you know, obviously I'll have to play different things on clinics and stuff. But I would love for people, you know, okay, let's say right now, if you put one of my kits in the museum, the drum museum, no one would be able to say, oh, that's Mike Johnson's kit. Because I use different drums mm-hmm. all the time and different cymbals all the time. But there are a few people where you would just go, that's Ringo's. I, I know that's Ringo's kit. Yeah. You know, and I, I, there's an appeal that like, oh man, I, I would love to have that thing. So, uh, this, for those of you out there that want to have that one snare, definitely at least, and I mean, good God, the price on the, the wood drums, that's kind of crazy. It is. It's kind of shocking. I, I don't quite get how they can do
1: it because it's, <laughs> they're not like factory drums. You know, they, they they're not like, they right. just, they're not like churning out 10,000 maple drums and 10,000 birch drums. Right. These are, these are being handcrafted by human beings. That that wow. that really studied the kind of Canopus thing is they study classic drums and try to replicate them. So they just hmm. they they spent their earlier just buying up vintage American drums and, and just trying to reproduce them.
0: And this is a Japanese company. Yep, they are They're awesome, man. Awesome. Well, let's give them a listen.
1: Our first listener question um, actually relates exactly to what I alluded to earlier. Uh, this comes from Chris. He says he's trying to work on my improvisations, for instance, playing eighth notes on the ride and the hi-hat on two and four uh, while I first sing the notes and then I try to play what I just sang. Uh, do you have any right. other exercises for improv improvisation and creativity? I just watched Marco Georgiak do an hour long clinic on really this very topic. He came in introduced himself and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down and play a solo that has absolutely no preconceived notions whatsoever. I'm just going to play. I'm just going to react to the sound of my instrument. Uh, and then after that, he did a second solo that was a little bit more preconceived, but still wide open. The first bit, a lot of the questions that people were asking were really great. Like, what's going through your mind? What are you thinking of? You know, what are you doing to, to get over the anxiety of not knowing what to play? All that kind of stuff. And he talked about practicing it, and he says the whole point of this solo was for me to have nothing, to not have any references, to not go into any beats, any grooves, any any specific ideas. It was simply to just play something on the instrument and then react to it in the moment. So even the very first note, he didn't know what he was going to do. He did like a a four-stroke roll from the floor tom that ended with a crash, and that became a motif that he started to orchestrate a little bit and just develop. And then when his hand would hit something, like if he would hit the hi-hat once, all of a sudden that triggered his ear to, all right, now I'm going to go do something that involves the hi-hat a little bit. And he talked about practicing it um, in a way that, like when you go in the practice room by yourself, you're only accountable to yourself. So if you go into the practice room and, and think about you know, envision yourself on stage, you have to be more accountable for everything you play. You can't just play stuff and, and dislike it and move on. So that's how he practices. He thinks, all right, everything I play is deliberate and important and I've got to make music out of it. I have to, no matter what it is, if I drop a stick, that has to be part of the motif. And then I have to figure out a way to work out of that puzzle and remember each, each motif. So I can eventually kind of allude back to it or return to it or use it to take me somewhere else. Um, so, for practicing in that concept I think it's it's a good idea to always just have no ideas and literally yeah. let your creativity force you to explore the unknown um so that's that is an exercise having no exercise right uh, and the other thing he did his second solo was he he uh he just sang a bass line from one of his pieces so the audience could hear it, and he's like, "This is gonna be my reference it's a five sixteen bass line." I'm going to play a solo for 15 minutes, and that bassline's is never going to stop in my head. It's going to be looping mm. in my head constantly. He's not always he wasn't always playing it, sure, but he was always able to come back. It to was the it. glue. There was some sort right. of he would land and play part of it on the bass drum, so you could be reminded that he's still playing that that riff, even right. though he's doing polyrhythms and stretching and elongating the rhythms and all that. He's still that's always going. So that's a good way to practice it: is just write a riff. Not actually write it, but just think of a riff, a figure, and use that. Um, Carl Allen had me do that in my lessons with him. He just had me write like, like no pre-planning. He had to come in and be, all right. Write a four-bar riff, a rhythm, a four-bar ostinato, and we're going to solo over it for the next hour. Nice. So yeah, those are those. Are how I, I try not to have anything too specific when you're practicing
0: improvisation, because then you're not practicing improvisation. Right. Well, I think the hardest thing is <clears throat> translating this vocabulary that you've you've created and and you locked it in. So uh, he's playing. You said he was playing eighth notes on the ride and two and four on the hi hat. Right. He's trying to speak between his left hand and his bass drum. He's singing something so he, and
1: then playing it back.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you have the physical ability to do those things, and you have to keep creating the set in stone vocabulary to be able to pull off the things you're singing. Sometimes you physically can't. You know, you sing gadu gadu and ga, and then you find out that you can't do gadu and you don't know how to split that up. Yeah. So you work on those things and get that going. And the one thing that I did, I'm trying to build vocabulary. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Underneath the straightened jazz pattern right. of just one into two, so I started putting on things that were in the tempo that I wanted to play, like a Justin Timberlake song. And then I, since I knew the song by heart or I knew the lyrics by heart, I tried to play Justin's vocal lines between left hand and bass drum. And sometimes I just couldn't do it and I, I couldn't react fast enough. And and I think that's what we're all trying to make happen is that seamless, no-time-passing reaction between a sound coming straight from your brain to your hand and your foot. And that's, that's something you have to practice. Um, so I think, like you said, doing a thing where – there's no preconceived notion is 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 super important because that's how it would be in a playing situation, and then doing something where you're responding to things, or maybe you're finishing people's sentences, um, you know. But yeah, I think sitting down on the instrument and doing it is the key. Everyone gives up because it's hard. Yeah. Improvising is hard, yeah, exactly. and they're just like, okay, screw it. And that was one of the. Let me things, find a, uh, a video. One things
1: that Peter Erskine kind of hammered home to me when I saw him a few times early on was. He would say, your vocabulary doesn't need to be sophisticated. You don't need to be able to play all this crazy Vinnie Cayuto stuff. You can play quarter notes. If you can play quarter notes, you can play a musical solo with quarter notes. So just spend time saying, I'm only going to play quarter notes. So all I have is dynamics, orchestration, and rests. So you can incorporate rest to make it not just constant quarter notes. I would try that. And don't add any other subdivisions until you feel like you've you've accomplished something musically with just quarter notes or just half sure. notes with brushes. I mean, really yeah. limiting. Cause I don't think, I mean, that was something Marco kind of talked about as well. He's like, I'm always, I'm always looking for new vocabulary. I'm always adding to my vocabulary in the practice room. So then it just becomes like subconscious information that I can use when he's improvising. But the guy could also clearly improvise with whole notes. I mean, he just, he's so attuned sure. with just that creative side. And I think, I think you, there's you just have to you just have to do it. And it's like you said, you have to do it, but you have to do it in a way that that fosters the creativity. So that means
0: not well, too that's the much problem. preconceived ideas. People get confused when they're in the moment. I, I mean, I, I have I have it happen while we're here at camps, and people. You know, one of the sections of the day is stage two, creative. Like, okay, I gave you these parameters, go be creative. And they'll come up and they'll play something extremely purposeful, extremely worked out. And I'm like, oh, well, wait, what did you do for the last 15 minutes? And they said, well, I thought how cool would it be if I could play paradiddle diddles between my left hand and my right foot while I did this. And I'm like, oh, that would be stage one, non creative. Yeah. There's no creativity there. Maybe the, there was creativity in you thinking up the idea, but after that, it's set in stone. Yeah. So it's tough to even know when you're actually improvising and, until you can do it, and then you recognize what it is to make something up in the moment. But you know, s- carving out 10 to 20 minutes a day to do nothing but be spontaneous and be creative and improvise, it would help everybody. It's, it doesn't matter even if you just want to play gigs. You know, It's like you, you need to be able to speak on that instrument. I think
1: it's good for you, too. I mean, I know the times that I've done that, and had the most success of really just kind of getting beyond myself and not thinking and letting go. That's cathartic when you're done. You're like, totally. I don't really care if no one ever hears me play that way. That really meant something to me emotionally and spiritually. I mean, there was a time a couple of years ago where every morning I was going straight from bed to the drum set, improvising for five minutes and recording it and posting it to SoundCloud. And it was a lot of just really crazy out there stuff, but <laughs> It also kinda of, yeah. it reset me for the day. It was like I just expressed myself creatively for five minutes with no yeah. rules, no right or wrong. It doesn't yeah. nothing's good, nothing's bad. And it, it kind of you kinda of let kinda of let go of that as well. It kinda of helped me shed some skin in a good way. Yeah.
0: And and instead of judging you from the outside, it's just a chance for people to hear it's like, dude, this is a snapshot of where you are right now when you're playing. This is your current skill set and your current mood coming together to make art. right? And I think it's a, it's a really cool thing. All right, next question. Next
1: question is coming from Nicholas. Um, he's been playing drums for a couple of years now, and he's always practicing with the metronome. The problem is he's lost without the metronome. He can hear his mm. tempo shift, and he can feel things, notes rushing or dragging, but he can't seem to keep great time without the click. Is it possible to practice with the click too much? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. The simple answer is yes. I think... I think we all have to go through that. I think you're at that stage only a couple of years in you're at that stage where you're becoming aware of time and how your body is not naturally, doesn't actually play in time. So you have to, mm-hmm. I mean, I spent months, hours, months, weeks, years, trying to play just a simple, a one on the bass drum and not have, and being, and feeling like I have actually control over it. Right. You know yeah. that, so it's, the first step is acknowledging that it's a problem, and the second step is figuring out a solution. Uh, we've talked about a lot of solutions for this kind of – it's obviously your internal clock. You're, you're allowing the metronome to replace your internal clock, and that is a, a big problem. I've, that, I suffered from that, and I still do. Um, even in college, the, I only sounded good on gigs when the bass player was good. If the bass player couldn't really lay it down, the time would be all over the place because I was relying on him to give me the time, and then I could do my my imitations of Tony Williams over top of it. You know that's that's just the way it, yeah, it yeah. was. Sure, um, it wasn't until I just I realized all right, I've got to take this bull by the horns. There's no such thing as a gift of good time. It can be practiced. It can be improved on. Um, so the best thing to do is be to record yourself every day record yourself playing to the click, turn the click off, record yourself again, listen back right. and say, am I speeding up or am I slowing down? Where am I speeding up? Where am I slowing down? Is it the fills? Is it the groove? Uh, and then we talked about a lot, set up a click track that drops out every fourth bar or every two beats at every fourth bar. Right. Um, little things that create these these gaps where you you are solely responsible for the time and then you see how far off you are when the time comes back in. That's super, super valuable. Yeah. Practicing with the click on the offbeats has been the single most important thing for me in my practice to develop my time. So then you're not you're not a. You still have to be in control of the downbeat, and then the metronome right. reminds you where the upbeat is. That's right. a whole different thing than always shooting for that downbeat with the metronome.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's some great stuff. I, I think. People also, when it comes to timing, need to divide their time into two categories, which we've talked about before as well, which would be vertical time and horizontal time. And I got that concept uh, secondhand from Wayne Krantz. So I played with a guitar player who studied with Wayne for a lot of time. And he said, hey, man, your horizontal time, he was talking to me, so your horizontal time is good, but your vertical time gets a little sloppy and I didn't know what that concept was and the whole concept was you know when we it, let's say that I give somebody a metronome on one and three so it's half notes but they're they're playing in time they might nail those beeps every time, but there are eight sixteenth notes between every beep that can be rushed or dragged and all they have to do is rev the engine right at the end to get back to that beep. yeah. So their horizontal time is flawless. They keep hitting that one, that loud beep every time. But it's all the notes in between, which is the vertical grid of time that can be sloppy. And that happens a lot. And on our Yamaha DTX kits, we have that thing where if you don't play on the grid of time, the pads actually don't work. Those same people that completely train wreck that exercise do great on a gap click. So what they do is they get sloppy in the middle of the measure and they always rev the engine right at the end to land on that one. And they go, yeah, my timing's flawless. I can even play with a gap click. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you had 14 notes that weren't even close to the grid. And then you had two that jammed you back into the downbeat. Yeah. That so, doesn't
1: sound good either. That's no, that
0: so, good. so there. So I think that you have to spend time working on your horizontal time, which would be things like a gap click, then take, or maybe take your click go from quarter notes down to half notes, then down to whole notes so that the click only happens on the one and you're responsible for all the time in between. But then I think you also have to go the complete opposite route and work on your vertical grid of time, yeah. which would be to put your metronome on in 16th notes. And how much are you flamming with those 16th notes?
1: And yeah, uh, and play very slowly, or, too, at 16th notes. Absolutely,
0: yeah. yeah. And, and eventually, maybe you get away from a metronome in 16th and you bring in like a shaker sample or something, but you know, treat those two things a little bit separately, but they are all working on your time. And and I mean I think at the end of the day, instead of looking for the magic pill of how to fix your time, you should be able to ask yourself, Did you practice time today? Good. That's it. Yeah, it'll always we'll, we'll, get better. It'll always get especially better. Especially if you can hear yeah. it.
1: It's when when people don't hear it and that that's usually the most painful part in a lesson for me when I'm mm-hmm. like I hate to break it to you. But you got to work on your time, and, and practicing yeah. time is not fun. Practice; it's humiliating. It's like improvising, it's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can spend twenty years becoming a proficient drummer and have really bad time. So yeah. then, when it comes, to, I mean, that's that's literally what happened in my case. I feel like I I learned how to play the drums well with no awareness of my time until I was twenty five years old, right? Maybe even yeah. older. And I might have been thirty when it was like, wow, your time really isn't. It came down to like why is it when I hear Steve Jordan or an Ash Stone or a Steve Gadd play, it sounds right. And then when I record myself playing the same beat, something's not right. It's yeah. like something's just not right. I'm playing the part right. I'm playing the same tempo. I'm not I'm not dropping beats. I'm not speeding up or slowing down, but something's sure. not right. And it was the subdivisions were just out of whack, completely out of whack. Yeah. And it's, it was painful. I mean, I had to... I, I feel like I'm just getting past that phase and it's been seven years of like putting the metronome on 60 BPM, playing 16th notes and just playing 16th notes and not changing or just playing one E and two E and until I feel like I have complete control over those 16th notes. They're not flaming in any kind of detectable way. And I'm also not like, freaking out mentally to the point where i like can't do anything else like i feel like i'm getting to that point yeah. finally where i'm mentally not, not like one e and a two e and a two e and a. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like you have to sharpen it's a muscle it's a virtual muscle but yeah. it is a muscle i agree man i agree so i mean really the uh the theme of today is practice is tough especially the good stuff you know i mean Practicing the dessert is pretty easy. You know, it, it's got such a great payoff. You learn these six notes in a row, you practice them over and over again, they get faster and faster, and eventually you can impress somebody that doesn't know anything about drums. <laughs> yeah. Real practice? It sucks. It does. And especially, you know, when you don't have a practice buddy, you're just in the room by yourself, and you're like, this I can't believe I'm about to spend an hour working on quarter notes along with a metronome. <laughs> but but you cause to, to practice, okay, here's the deal. To practice 16th notes like you did, you have to first admit that you can't play 16th notes. Yeah. No one wants to do that. <laughs> it, you know, right? I literally it's went like...
1: back to the, the first book I ever played when I was nine years old. <laughs> I, I swear that's what I did. I, went, I was like, I'm going to relearn the Alfred Drum Method, and I'm going to learn nice. it. And my goal was I'm going I'm to learn these pieces so well that I'm going to record them and then post them online for people to use them as their
0: reference. So it's going to be so Isn't that perfect. What I, <laughs> that's how I said, how do you know when to move on? When you can record the example for the book, that's when you can move on. Yeah, you know, So, yeah, I, I'm with you, buddy. I'm with, well, hell, I'm kind of fired up to practice today, <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited. And you get to have a ton more inspiration. How, do you know of any other clinicians you're seeing today? Yeah. You kind of marked down? Yeah,
1: today uh, Taylor Swift drummer Matt Billingsley is, is playing. Okay, cool. Um, Mike Clark is playing with his jazz oh, group. Oh, nice. Um, tomorrow, I believe Yost is here. Oh. Uh, JoJo yes. is here later. I think Saturday nice. he's the headliner. It's kind of a lighter lineup, but I think it's all really good. It's a good
0: lineup. And it's year. is it back in the uh, Indianapolis Convention Center or where it's been in the exactly. past? Exactly. Yeah, That's same room place. that
1: you were in, but they got yep. they got rid of the second room. You know, there's like a okay. master class room on the, like yep. a mile away on another ballroom. There's not much Oh, so now it's just it's just all in the main room yeah and so fewer well, such a because Paysake is is exhausting because there's you know 10 to 5 every day you can go see someone give a tambourine clinic or a timpani clinic or go watch a drum line play or a drum and they'll set. all blow you away and it's like hour after hour after hour so, yeah. so by the time you get to that headliner at 5 o'clock it's like I'm done I don't care as Jojo Mayer I don't care <laughs> but this year they've they've spread them out so you can like have an hour to go to the exhibit hall and go check out some equipment or go get some lunch. Or cool. I came back to yeah. the hotel just to relax, so that it's it's not nice. going to be as exhausting. I'm not going to be hating the drums as much as I usually. At the end right. of these things, I'm like, I don't want to hear another drum solo. I don't
0: care who it is. Yeah. It could be yeah, Buddy yeah. Rich. I don't want to hear yeah. another <laughs> drum solo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, okay, guys, we'll keep sending in those listener questions. We absolutely love them. You can send them in at mdinfo at com. You can also send audio questions. I'm sure we'll have a couple of those when Mike gets back in the office. Now it is time to give you our picks of the week. Mr. Dawson, do you have a pick of the week? I do, and I,
1: I'm i kind of embarrassed that I haven't picked it before because I think it's it's a great tool that everyone should have. There was, um, to find a good jazz play-along is really difficult. I think mm. most of them are, are synthesizers and they just kind of sound corny or the bass sure. is like synth bass, but there's a few Peter Erskine's app is great, but I've, I've used that one before, but there's the, uh, turn it up and, or lay it down. Play Along album. It's called
0: baby. Oh, they've Steps. been, I mean, that was the first, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but turn it up and lay it down for people who don't know. That was the first CD that ever came out as play alongs that I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. That's been, know? So. it's
1: been a decade or more of that. Uh, but they did one that was all jazz, Baby Steps to Giant Steps, uh, with a real band. So it's real bass, real piano, real guitar. So it's basically a, a trio with no drums. Huh. Uh, and it goes from slow swing to Giant Steps tempo. I think there's eleven or twelve tracks. Wow. And it's it's awesome. I think it's if you're working on jazz independence or or how, you know how to comp and how to interact with the mm-hmm. soloist or learning phrases because all the tunes are based on standard. Forms and standard chord core progressions—they don't use the, the correct titles because of publishing and sure. stuff. But so you're learn—you can learn the forms. You can learn how to, you could solo. You could use it as a template for soloing over top of forms. Um, the best thing for me is to apply the jazz independence that you're practicing out of Beyond Bop or whatever, and you have no idea why to do that. Like why am why am I working on these triplet exercises? Right. Well, put one of these yeah. tracks on. You can you start to hear holes in the phrasing where that's where you would throw in your bits you can have a conversation with the piano player you can have a conversation with the guitarist right it's really good and oh that's awesome I, man. to make the distinction there is a book version of that that also has a cd but that cd only contains demonstrations it doesn't have the the minus drums version hmm. so okay. while that's cool i would say get the one on itunes that has no drums on it
0: oh you can get it on itunes yep. you don't even have to oh that's awesome Well, I will probably do that today. Baby steps to giant steps. Nice. Well, that's funny. My pick of the week is something very similar. We've covered it. It's just, and I think it's actually been your pick of the week once or twice, but it's never been my pick of the week. And it's something very similar, which is John Riley's. um, What is that? Survival Guide. Jim Uh, Riley. Yes, that's what I said. (laughs) I don't know what the hell's wrong with your ears. (laughs) <laughs> is this thing on? Is this thing on? <laughs> Jim Riley's survival guide for the modern drummer. Um so I finally got a chance to check out the book and the CD, and yeah, it's the best. It's unparalleled. Mm. It's the best. Um if if you need some genres to play in, um and you know what I really like about Jim Riley is uh I think maybe it was I know it wasn't from the camp that you guys just covered. You just covered uh Rich Redmond's camp. But I, I know he was there. But I, I can't remember what it was from. But I saw him doing some of the stuff, some of the Latin stuff. Yeah. What I really like about it is it's so – he's the right guy to do it because he's not the guy that went to Cuba for six years and fellowshiped yeah, and then went right. to Brazil. He's the working drummer that's like, look, man, I have to play a samba on Wednesday. Yeah. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm from Brazil. <laughs> right. I got to get through the gig. So when I saw him play these tracks, I was like, wow, that's really cool. That's That's actually like – a professional gigging drummer that has to play a songo for one tune, that's about the level you need to have it at to get us through the gig. Yeah. So I think it's just a much more practical thing than even, you know, I remember when I was studying all the world groove stuff, you know, I had Ignacio's book, I had Horacio's book, and, and it yeah. was like Okay, I don't know if I'm ever going to play something this deep. Yeah, it's a lifetime of you know? study.
1: Each of those books is like a lifetime of study. And
0: I, I kind of feel like I'd have to move to the country, yeah. right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Chuck Silverman came out and bridged the gap for me a little bit. Kim Plainfield said, hey, man, this is what I do in New York when I have to play a Mozambique. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, that sounds a little more practical for my personal situation. So. Jim Riley's book, Survival Guide for the Modern Drummer. If you haven't checked it out, obviously you're buying it for the book and mostly for the CD. But the, the audio stuff, I mean, I sell play-alongs on my website, and I'm telling you these play-alongs are dope. So They are good. I did um, a couple uh,
1: demos for him because he sent me the book, the review. He's like, you know, you should do a video. And so I did a, a Fast Bebop one that's, that's, uh-huh. that's on his YouTube channel, I think. And there's also uh, like a – count uh, What's the name of the band? Black Crow's kind of sounding track that I did. Oh, cool.
0: It was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It's unbelievably thorough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is unbelievably thorough. Awesome. Well, everyone, have an amazing week. Stay calm. <laughs> just get through the week. And whenever, I, I would suggest this, unplug a little bit from social media. That's where all the chaos goes yeah. on. It's, it's showing then yeah, you can the, realize the, the, the
1: vile. It's, it's just It becomes a vile cesspool of negativity too
0: fast. You know what, though? I'm looking at, uh, I set up my, I got new sizes from one of my Brooklyns, and I'm looking at her right now, and she has no idea who's president. <laughs> she doesn't care. She's like, come over here and play for me. Let's let's have some fun. So I'm going to hang out with Miss Brooklyn. You tell everybody around there that we're mutual friends with that I said, what's up? Do. Have a great time at PAS, and uh, give us a full report next week. All right. See everyone. Later, buddy.